Welcome to Bandcamp. I'm Jennifer. And I'm Dan, and this is the podcast where we read banned books and try to figure out why they were banned in the first place. This season, we are reading The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. We are reading the chapter out loud, so if you haven't read it before, there are going to be spoilers. And if you are cool with that, keep listening. But if you're not cool with that, head on over to Bandcamp Season 4, Episode 1, and you can catch up. Also, please follow us on Instagram. You can find us at Bandcamp underscore podcast. Now, before Jen starts reading, let's introduce the third member of our team, our trusty robot. Look at this guy looking sharp, buddy. Yes, sharp. I suppose I am. Thank you, Den. Last time on Bandcamp, Huck and Tom's escape plan almost went to the dogs, literally as their convoluted scheme unfolded with the unexpected arrival of a canine audience. In their latest escapade, they swap out case knives for picks. Air, I mean, they continue to call them case knives. This Sawyer kid is way, way, way out there, man. Like, out of sight. Will this inventive yet absurd approach to liberating Jim hold up? Or will it unravel at the seams? What happens next? You're about to find out. Thank you, Robot. And with that being said, let's start. Chapter 37 of Huckleberry Finn. That was all fixed. So then we went away and went to the rubbish pile in the backyard, where they keep the old boots and rags and pieces of bottles and worn out tin things and all such trucks and scratched around and found an old tin wash pan and stopped up the holes as well as we could to bake the pie in and took it down cellar and stole it full of flour and started for breakfast and found a couple of shingle nails that Tom said would be handy for a prisoner to scrabble his name and sorrows on the dungeon walls with and dropped one of them in Aunt Sally's apron pocket, which was hanging on a chair. And the other we stuck in the band of Uncle Silas's hat, which was on the bureau. And Tom dropped the pewter spoon in Uncle Silas's coat pocket, and Aunt Sally wasn't come yet. So we had to wait a little while. So the plan is now that Jim has to be stealthy enough Mm -hmm. to take a nail from the hatband of Uncle Silas with the hat on the head. Yep. He's got to know that it's there somehow. Get something out of Aunt Sally's apron pocket. And then I guess he's going to get this tetanus pie. Very different than To Kill a Mockingbird, because if Scout needed to come up with a pie, Miss Maudie would make it. It would be a real pie, right? Yeah. Like these yeah, guys just it, grabbed an old dirty pan and some flour. Now they're going to make a pie. What if Jim eats it? Oh, my God. I don't want to think about that. And when she comes, she was hot and red and cross and couldn't hardly wait for the blessing. And then she went to she, what she mad about. I think she pricked her finger on a shingle nail in her pocket. (laughs) (laughs) And when she comes, she was hot and red and cross and couldn't hardly wait for the blessing. And then she went to sluicing out coffee with one hand and cracking the handiest child's head with her thimble with the other and says, I've hunted high and I've hunted low, and it does beat all what has become of your other shirt. Oh, she's mad because the shirt's missing. No. My heart fell down amongst my lungs and livers and things, and a hard piece of corn crust started down my throat after it got met on the road with a cough, and was shot across the table, and took one of the children in the pie and curled him up like a fishing worm, and let really shot out of his esophagus there, jeez, and curled him up like a fishing worm, and let a cry out of him the size of a war whoop, and Tom, he turned kinder blue around the gills. And it all amounted to a considerable state of things for about a quarter of a minute. And I would have sold out for half price if there was a bidder. 
But after that, we was all right again. It was the sudden surprise of it that knocked us so kind of cold. Uncle Silas, he says, It's most uncommon curious. I can't understand it. I know perfectly well I took it off because, because you hain't got but one on. Just listen at the man. I know you took it off and know it by a better way than your wool gathering memory too, because it was on the clothesline yesterday. I see it there myself, but it's gone. That's the long and short of it. And you'll just have to change to a red flannel one till I can get time to make a new one. It'll be the third I've made in two years. Well, that doesn't seem like very much. Three shirts in two years? That seems like totally normal. Okay, anyways, it just keeps a body on the jump to keep you in shirts. And whatever you do manage to do with them, all is more than I can make out. A body think you would learn to take some sort of care of them at your time of life. I know it, Sally, and I do try all I can. But it oughtn't to be altogether my fault because, you know, I don't see them nor have anything to do with them except when they're on me. And I don't believe I've ever lost one of them off of me. Well, you know, it'd be really great if these people believed in witches because that would explain a lot. Everything would just be witch's fault. Yeah, good point. Well, it ain't your fault if you haven't, Silas. You'd have done it if you could, I reckon. And the shirt ain't all that's gone, nother. There's a spoon gone, and that ain't all. There was ten, and now there's only nine. The calf got the shirt, I reckon, but the calf never took the spoon. That's certain. See, I knew she would miss these things because back then they barely had anything. You know, when they I, were going through their plan and thinking of, I'm going to steal this tin spoon. And it it reminded me of the thing in the witch that made everything go to hell. Do you remember? The girl, the cup was gone. The father traded the cup for food or something. This is the a cup. popular horror movie. The yeah, the, the, the witch. Wit, the witch. You telling so, me that that demon goat Patrick took this it was Patrick, Patrick, the demon goat. It wasn't. It wasn't Patrick. It was it like was Pat. I think it was Gregory. Pat. No, it wasn't Gregory. It Gregory's was... even worse than Patrick. <laughs> hey, where's that? Where's that demon goat? Who, Greg? <laughs> In the 2016 film The Witch, which is stylized as the V-Vitch, the demon goat is named Black Phillip. Black Phillip becomes a central and sinister figure in the story, embodying evil and serving as a symbol of the devil. He is scary because of his association with witchcraft and the supernatural and his eerie and unsettling presence throughout the film. Neither Patrick nor Greg is the goat's name in the movie. Furthermore, I would imagine he would be greatly displeased if you called him Black Phil. One would assume he would rather be called by his given name, Black Phillip. That film induced a high level of fear in me. Black Philip. Phil. Who is Phil? <laughs> it was Phil from the Mandarian Orange. That guy's a demon. Well, anyways, you see, you take things, the mom gets mad, and everything yeah. goes to hell. That's my point. You can't just take things. The yeah, mom you're bringing your own personality into this because you're a mom, and you probably get <laughs> mad when somebody takes your earbuds or something. I think a different angle on this is that Mark Twain is really into inventory. Remember when they got on mm, that floating yep. house and we had to go through, I think it was four chapters of Tom just listing things that he got. That's right. right. I, he's into inventory and so is Aunt Sally. I'm missing a cup. I'm missing a shingle nail. I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm looking up because I looked up who was the goat in the bitch. Yeah. And the first thing that comes up is this website called Collider. And it says, admit it. Black Philip is hot in the witch. <laughs> what the hell is a goat? What the hell? Uh, Greatest of all time. Um, yeah, and that was a good movie, though. What would be 
because I, I remember laughing when when they said Black Philip. Philip's another one of these names that that does not in, uh, exactly inspire fear. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, where are we here? Okay, well, it ain't your fault if you haven't, Silas. You'd have done it if you could, I reckon. And the shirt ain't all that's gone. What else is gone, Sally? There are six candles gone. That's what. The rats could have got the candles, and I reckon they did. I wonder they don't walk off with the whole place, the way they're always going to stop their holes and don't do it. And if they weren't fools, they'd sleep in your hair, Silas. You'd never find it out, but they can't lay the spoon on the rats, and that I know. Well, Sally, I'm in fault, and I acknowledge it. I've been in remiss, but I won't let tomorrow go by without stopping up them holes. Oh, I wouldn't hurry. Next year I'll do. Matilda Angelina Phelps. I don't know who that is. Maybe that's one of her um, enslaved. No, I think Phelps is their daughter. I think she hit a daughter in the head. She hit some kid in the head. This is another reason you shouldn't take your mom's stuff. Because if you have a, there's a good chance you're going to get hit in the head just like friendly fire. Like she's just so mad. She's, <laughs> who took my hat? Whack come the thimble and the child snatches her claws out of the sugar bowl without fooling around any. Just then the N-word woman steps onto the passage and says, Mrs. Day's a sheet gone. A sheet gone? Well, for the land's sake. My grandma says it. I know. That's why I'm laughing. I'll stop up them holes today, says Uncle Silas, looking sorrowful. Oh, do shut up. Suppose the rats took the sheet. Where's it gone, Liz? Claw to goodness, I hain't no notion, Miss Sally. She was on de clothesline yesterday, but she done gone. She ain't da no more now. I reckon the world is coming to an end. I never see the beat of it in all my born days. A shirt and a sheet and a spoon and six can misses comes a young yeller wench. What language is this now, Jen? I am just reading syllables, Dan. This whole thing that's happening right now is again because of dumb, dumb, stupid plan. Dumb Tom. Why? why where is the shirt? Oh, that's right. The guy who doesn't know how to write needs to journal. It's ridiculous. Now comes another young woman saying, Mrs. Day's a brass candlestick missing. Clear out from here, you hussy, or I'll take a skillet to ye. Well, she was just a biling. I begun to lay for a chance. I reckoned I would sneak out and go for the woods till the weather moderated. She kept a raging right along, running her insurrection all by herself, and everybody else mighty meek and quiet. And at last, Uncle Silas, looking kind of foolish, fishes up that spoon out of his pocket. Oh, it was in his pocket. So he does look guilty. <laughs> oh, my God. She stopped with her mouth open and her hands up. And as for me, I wished I was in Jerusalem or somewheres, but not long, because she says, It's just as I expected. So you had it in your pocket all the time. And like as not, you've got the other things there, too. I want a divorce. <laughs> I'm telling you, if only they believed in witches, this would all be fine. Right. I really don't know, Sally, he says, kind of apologizing. Or you know I would tell. I was a studying over my text in Acts 17 before breakfast. And I reckon I put it in there, not noticing, meaning to put my testament in. Oh, for the land's sake, give a body of rest. Go long now the whole kit and biling of ye. And don't come nigh me again till I've got my peace of mind. Hmm. She needs a timeout. I give myself <laughs> timeouts a lot. I'm like, mom needs a timeout. That's not how it's supposed to work. I'm pretty sure that you're supposed to give the kids times out. Timeout. Times out. Mm, yes, I think. Find it's better if I do time out to get my peace of mind back. This is well better worded than what I would say. 
Do you yell at the kids and go, I'm giving myself a turnout, mister? It's happened before. (laughs) It's been around and slammed the door behind me. (laughs) I just sit in my room. (laughs) I'd have heard her if she'd have said it to herself, let alone speaking it out. And I'd have got up and obeyed her if I'd have been dead. As we was passing through the setting room, the old man, he took up his hat. And the shingle nail fell out on the floor. God, (laughs) this poor guy. And he just merely picked it up and laid it on the mantel shelf and never said nothing and went out. Tom see him do it and remembered about the spoon and says, well, it ain't no use to send things by him no more. He ain't reliable. Then he says, but he done us a good turn with the spoon anyway without knowing it. And so we'll go and do him one without him knowing it. Stop up his rat holes. Hmm. There was a noble good lot of them down cellar, and it took us a whole hour, but we done the job tight and good and ship shape. Then we heard steps on the stairs and blowed out our light and hid. And here comes the old man with a candle in one hand and a bundle of stuff in the other, looking as absent-minded as year before last. He went a-mooning around, first to one rat hole and then another, till he'd been to them all. Then he stood about five minutes, picking tallow drip off his candle and thinking. Then he turns off slow and dreamy towards the stairs, saying, Well, for the life of me, I can't remember when I done it. I could show her now that I weren't to blame on account of the rats. But never mind, let it go. I reckon it wouldn't do no good. And so he went on a mumbling upstairs, and then we left. He was a mighty nice old man, and always is. That kind of feel bad for him. He thinks he's losing his mind or something. Like he's really thinking about it. It's and, good to have a scapegoat, though, I suppose. Yeah, but not an old creature. You know what I mean? Tom Why? doesn't care about anything. Just, just use him, use the person, you know? Tom was a good deal bothered about what to do for a spoon, but he said we got to have it, so he took a think. When he had ciphered it out, he told me how he was to do. Then we went and waited around the spoon basket till we see Aunt Sally coming. And then Tom went to counting the spoons and laying them out to one side. And I slid one of them up my sleeve, and Tom says, Why, Aunt Sally, there ain't but nine spoons yet. She says, Go long to your play and don't bother me. I know better. I've counted them myself. Well, I've counted them twice, Auntie, and I can't make but nine. She looked out of all patience, but of course she come to count. Anybody would. I declare to gracious, there ain't but nine, she says. Why, what in the world, plague, take the things. I'll count them again. So I slipped back the one I had. And when she had got done counting, she says, Hang the troublesome rubbish. There's ten now. And she looked huffy and bothered both. But Tom says, I don't think there's ten. You numbskull, didn't you see me count them? I know, but, well, I'll count them again. So I smouched one, and they come out nine, same as the other time. Well, she was in a tearing way, just a trembling all over. She was so mad. But she counted and counted till she got that addled she'd start to count in the basket for a spoon sometimes. Then she grabbed up the basket and slammed it across the house and knocked the cat out. She knocked the cat, galley west? Don't beat on your animals if you can't count your spoons. This Sawyer kid is a real menace. He is a menace. This guy is a shit stirrer. It's like I said, chaos agent. That's all he lives for. Your aunt is on the verge of losing her ass, Tom. You're I know. Spoons out, making her count. Blah, blah, blah. What <laughs> is this? A, oh man, this is a big game to you. Take it from the guy who used to try to make everything funny. Sometimes life isn't this funny. 
I mean, I do think it's funny that she's losing her ass over a spoon. But <laughs> oh straighten up and fly right, Sawyer, will you? Oh God's God. sakes. Hi, I'm Dan. And my name's Jennifer, and we're from Bandcamp, a comedy podcast where we read banned books and try to figure out why they were banned in the first place. Season six of Bandcamp premieres on June 4th, and we picked a fantastic book for this season. And the name of the book is Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin Allier Science. It's our first contemporary book. It explores friendship and sexuality through the experiences of two Mexican-American teenagers living in El Paso in the 80s. If you are new to Bandcamp, each season we read an entire book. In each episode of that season, Jennifer reads the chapter out loud and we comment and try to have fun as we go. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Thursday. So please join us as we try and figure out why Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe could have ever been banned. But I bet we're not going to find anything because banning books is stupid. Season 6 premieres on June 4th. See you there. She said, clear out and let her have some peace. And if we come bothering around her again betwixt that and dinner, she'd skin us. So we had the old spoon and dropped it in her apron pocket while she wasn't giving us her sailing orders. And Jim got it out all right, along with her shingle nail before noon. We was very well satisfied with this business, and Tom allowed it was worth twice the trouble it took, because he said now she couldn't ever count them spoons twice alike again to save her life, and wouldn't believe she'd counted them right if she did, and said that after she'd about counted her head off for the next three days, he judged she'd give it up and offered to kill anybody that wanted her to ever count them anymore. So he guess we put, he's been doing so many mind yeah. games with this poor woman. I know she is ready to snap. She will yeah. kill someone. Poor Silas is like, I, for the life of me, I don't know how the spoon <laughs> got in my, you're lying to me. <laughs> so we put the sheet back on the line that night and stole one out of her closet and kept on putting it back and stealing it again for a couple of days till she didn't know how many sheets she had anymore. And she didn't care and weren't a going to bully rag the rest of her soul out about it and wouldn't count them again, not to save her life. She'd rather die first. So, I mean, their plan is working. Yeah. If the goal in the plan is to one day find your favorite aunt sitting in a fetal position with foam coming out of her mouth, crying, God. So we was like, all right now as to the shirt and the sheet and the spoon and the candles. By the help of the calf and the rats and the mixed-up counting, and as to the candlestick, it weren't no consequence. It would blow over by and by. But that pie was a job. We fixed it up away down in the woods and cooked it there, and we got it done at last, and very satisfactory, too. But not all in one day, and we had to use up three washpans full of flour before we got through, and we got burnt pretty much all over, in places and eyes put out with the smoke. Because, you see, we didn't want nothing but a crust, and we couldn't prop it up right, and she would always cave in. But of course we thought of the right way at last, which was to cook the ladder too in the pie. Okay, so this is the rope ladder. Such a ridiculous plan. So we laid in with Jim the second night and tore up the sheet all in little strings and twisted them together. And long before daylight, we had a lovely rope that you could have hung a person with. Oh my God, that's that's terrifying. That's scary. I don't like that. We let on it took nine months to make it. Oh my God. So now they're lying to themselves to make it an adventure. 
And in the forenoon, we took it down to the woods, but it wouldn't go into the pie. Being made of a whole sheet that way, there was rope enough for 40 pies if we'd have wanted them, and plenty left over for soup or sausage or anything you choose. Could have had a whole dinner. Well, why don't they just pretend they made a pie out of it? This whole thing, they should... Oh, Huck and Jim should be on that GD raft floating down the effing river three days ago. Agreed. Ay, ay, ay. But we didn't need it. All we needed was just enough for the pie, and so we throwed the rest away. We didn't cook none of the pies in the wash pan, but Uncle Silas, he had a noble brass warming pan, which he thought considerable of, because it belonged to one of his ancestors with a long wooden handle that come over from England with William the Conqueror in the Mayflower, or one of them early ships, and was hid away up garret with a lot of other old pots and things that was valuable. Not on account of being any account, because they weren't, but on account of them being relics, you know, and we snaked her out. Private. So he's taking like family heirlooms. The, yeah, menace, menacing kids. Menace. Ay, ay, All right. Well, anyways, this run-on sentence continues. Because they weren't, but on account of them being relics, you know, and we snaked her out private and took her down there. But she failed on the first pies because we didn't know how. But she come up smiling on the last one. We took and lined her with dough and set her in the coals and loaded her up with rag rope and put on a dough roof and shut down the lid and put hot embers on top and stood off five foot with the long handle, cool and comfortable. And in 15 minutes, she turned out a pie that was a satisfaction to look at. But the person that edit would want to fetch a couple of toothpicks along. For if that rope ladder wouldn't cramp him down to business, I don't know nothing what I'm talking about and lay him in enough stomach ache to last him till next time, too. Are they thinking he's going to eat it? You got to tell Jim, they don't usually give you a pie, right? If a pie mm -hmm. comes in, be real careful. He's not going to eat it because remember, he almost chipped a tooth the last <sighs> time. He's going to stick his fork in three or four times and find a rope ladder in the pie. Do they really think he's that dumb that he's going to eat a rope ladder made out of sheets? I, I, I this book thinking. is losing me. Oh my god, I can't wait till I want to go back to the king and the duke. At least I understood I, I, those dum dums. Uh, oh man, Nat didn't look when we put the witch pie in Jim's pan, and we put the three tin plates in the bottom of the pan under the vittles. Oh right, because Nat's scared of the witch pie. Yeah. And so, Jim got everything all right, and as soon as he was by himself. He busted into the pie and hid the rope ladder inside of the straw tip and scratched some marks on a tin plate and throwed it out of the window hole. End of chapter. So that whole chapter was just a bunch of funny business, stealing things, gaslighting his aunt and his uncle and everyone, really. As uh, Fred Lederer, who I went to middle school with, once said, that's so funny, I forgot to laugh. I'm with you, Fred. Oh, I man. didn't get that chapter at all and i mm. jim's really smart so he you're telling me he's going through along with this whole dumb stuff because tom the whitey seems to be smart yeah and so's huck in a way because in huck's mind tom is better educated or something or like he comes from better stock because yeah. he didn't have a pap he had like a right right upbringing supposedly i don't know Man, stupid. It's time for PPP, Problematic Points to Ponder. What, if anything, would be considered banworthy in this chapter? Launching into PPP, 
uh, didn't really hear anything in that. There wasn't even a lot of N-word talk. There's just nothing in this book that's band-worthy. Did you see that thing? I saw this post on, um, I think it was Instagram or TikTok about, I don't know where it was, I bet Florida, about a permission slip that the school had to send home with a kid basically asking for permission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a permission slip. It is Florida, Miami-Dade County. Of course. The description for this permission slip is, students will participate and listen to a book written by an African-American. So you got to get a permission slip to listen to a book written by a Black person. What the hell is happening? Like, there are Black people on the planet, yes? I mean, what if this was given to a Black student? Like, I don't understand. What are they worried about? You know, you have to get your parents to sign it. It's just, it's very confusing. I'm very confused by this whole thing. So it's Florida. They have that stupid parents' bill of rights or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's disruptive and hateful. (laughs) All right, Dan, I see you got to go. You got to attend to your lonely dog over there. But, you know... Jesus. Tian, go, go, go tell him it's all right. Go. He's not alone in the world. It's far from all right. From Ben Worthy to Binge Worthy. Hey, fans of Bandcamp. My name is J.P. Darbogosian. I love Bandcamp because fighting back against book bans was one of the reasons why I launched the podcast, This Queer Book Saved My Life. As I saw LGBTQ books being banned from schools and politicians saying we can't even say the word gay in our classrooms, I thought we need to get into how important queer books are and how they save lives. And in some cases on the podcast, we mean that literally. On each episode, a new LGBTQ guest shares with us the book that helped them find the language to come out or begin their gender transition or deal with homophobia in their family. And then we bring in the book's author to find out what it took to write that book. How did it get out into the world? How did it change the author? We were just nominated for a GLAAD Media Award for Outstanding Podcasts, and I hope that you can check out This Queer Book Saved My Life everywhere you stream your podcasts. All right. Well, we've caused enough literary chaos for today. Thank you for listening, scary book people. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with one person to whom it would add value. Bandcamp is produced and hosted by Jennifer Davis and me, Dan Schultz. All media used in this production was done so under the protection of a fair use. See you guys next time. Bye.